for the longest time, for the longest time, uh, I did not think of myself as an idolater. I, I just didn't. Um, in sixth grade, I would tell all kinds of stories about adventures I would have with my grandfather, and I would invent these stories, which meant that the stories were lies, which made me a liar, but that's not an idolater, okay? Um, when I married Jenny, I was confronted in the first six months with my own selfishness. I was like, oh. And then we had a preacher at the time who went on and on about, you need to tithe on your income, and you need to give back to God. And, oh. and, and so at the time, 100% of what we made was spent on us. And like, I don't know what your ratio is, but for me back then, I was like, well, 100% on me, OK, that's kind of selfish, right? And so, so, but again, selfish is not idolatry. Um, the other thing is uh, I went to the same school that Billy Graham went to. And so Wheaton College was outside of Chicago. And when I graduated, I noticed that I would run in and meet people that would say some version of, oh, you know, I applied to Wheaton. Kind of like the way people would go like, well, you know, I applied to Harvard, right? And so I had this chip on my shoulder be like, well, yeah, I went there. And you know, that's, that's pride, in case you're wondering, which is also a sin. But again, not idolatry, OK? Um, and then in my 20s, uh, when I was working on my second graduate degree, if one of the other students got an A and I didn't get an A, I would have a case of the wah-wahs. Wah, how's come he got an A? Or if they won a prize or got to do something, wah, you know, and that's enviousness or, or what the Bible would call covetousness. But again, not idolatry. Okay, so. For the longest time in my life, I had no category whatsoever for idolatry. It made, it made no sense to me at all. Like, why would anybody worship anything other than God? Duh. Like, you know, and so I, 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 at the time, when I was 19, 20, I had never read through the Old Testaments, but I would watch the Ten Commandments with Charlton Heston because it was on every year. You're like, you just, it's, it was a thing. Young people ask old people about it. And so, so, Charlton Heston, they, they get out of Egypt, and there's all this big miraculous stuff, and, and they're kind of waiting. And then Charlton Heston goes up the mountain, and it's like one scene later, out comes the calf. And I, and I would watch that, and I would think, he just went up the mountain. Like, that just happened. Like, what are you doing? Duh. Who does that? OK, so again, I had no understanding of what idolatry really was. I had no understanding of the human heart. And I certainly, when I was 19 years old, did not understand my own heart. Now, you may be here today, and you may think the way I used to think, namely, idolatry. Like, who does that? I want to say to you that idolatry is doing just fine. Thank you very much. It really is. Like, idolatry is alive and well today and is flourishing all over the world, every bit as much as it did 4,000 years ago in the times of the pharaohs. I know, you'd be like, Max, really, come on. I mean, that's crazy. But I'm telling you, idols are everywhere. Idols are all over America. And I'm not talking about the TV show. Idols are all over America. Idols are all over Kentucky. Idols are in our homes. And shh, idols are in our hearts. I'm just, 
I'm telling you, it's a thing. It's a thing. Now, part of it is because we like to think of idols as statues. Um, And so we have this idea in our head that, well, the way idolatry works is you make this thing like a cow or a monkey or something, and you put it in a temple, and then you don a grass skirt just like out of Gilligan's Island, and you go, mugga mugga, we sacrifice virgin to Vakaina, and they beat the drums, and you're like, we live in America, we, you know, we're not idolaters like that, that's, that's stupid. Now, actually, that's actually Joe versus the Volcano, which is a movie that came out in 1990 with a very young Tom Hanks and Meg Ryan, and the guy was diagnosed with some kind of rare disease, and he decided that since I'm gonna die anyway, I'm gonna go to one of these National Geographic locations where they think that you gotta sacrifice someone to the volcano, and I'll just jump in, again, I'm gonna die anyway, And that'll help all the natives with their superstitious beliefs. So I want to cover a couple of things about idolatry. First of all, yes, it is the worship of idols. But look at the second definition there. Extreme admiration, love, or reverence for something or someone. So in other words, there are people in America today who have made an idol out of (gasps) Beyonce. There are people today who have made an idol out of the (gasps) Kentucky Wildcats. There are people today that have made an idol out of (gasps) how they look. And they have to look a certain way and dress a certain way. And it tells them who they are. And it gives them their value. And it's a thing. And so I want to say to you that idolatry is alive and well. And if if I could define it succinctly, idolatry is valuing something more than you value God. Tim Keller says this, he says, if anything in your life becomes so central, you cannot have a meaningful life without it, it's an idol. So there are all kinds of things that can actually be idols. Family can be an idol. My family life trumps everything and and nothing else comes close to it. And if my family's doing well and da 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 da, then I have value as a person and I'm somebody and it tells me, gives me my worth and nothing else comes close to it. Children can be an idol, right? People will have kids and and if my kid is happy and adjusted and successful, then that means again, I'm somebody and I have a real life and I have worth and value and meaning and, and on and on. Money, money can be an idol. How many people do you meet and the net worth or the salary that's tied to their name is who they are? And that tells them their value as a person. It's all over our country. Um, Appearance and beauty can be an idol. Um, Achievement, so the things that I accomplished, the fact that I won this prize or I have five rings on my finger for all the tournament championships that I've accumulated. Uh, romantic relationships where people will go out and the love that this other person has for me defines me again. It's, the, it's central to everything in my life and I can't have any meaning without it. Um, and then we take idols and we actually make idols within Christianity and religion. Um, you're, there are people that it's their religiosity and it's an idol and, it, and their religious performance and that the fact that they believe the right things and do the right things is what justifies them with God and they wear it like a badge, right? So idols can be anywhere. Um, how do you know if something's an idol? Well, Tim Keller says this, he says, if I lost 
and then think of something. If I lost that, I don't know how I would live. If that's the case, then it might be an idol. I know of no other pastor in America who is as effective as Tim Keller at discerning and articulating idols. And so today, I just wanna share three personal and three religious idols that Tim Keller has identified in hopes that when we get to just two verses in Acts 16, you'll have this reaction on the inside and you'll go, oh, oh, Max, like, there are idols around. There are idols everywhere. And that you might have the reaction of, oh, like Jesus exposes idols. It's a thing. Jesus does that because Jesus wants to be king and Lord, okay? So again, three, three personal and three uh, religious idols. So one idol in America is the idol of money, right? And, and these are the kids, well, I'm gonna be an engineer because an engineer is gonna make all this money and I'm gonna have all these dollars tied to my name. And so, and so money becomes, in a sense, an idol and how much money you make gives you your value and worth as a person. In New York City, there is a concentration of wealth like you wouldn't believe. I don't know if you know how this works, but retirement funds all across America, whether it's a state, whether it's a company, they're all managed by literally this small group of people in New York City, hedge fund managers. And they manage billions and billions and billions and billions of dollars. Now, because of the nature of the job and the demands of the job, the people who are these hedge fund managers will sacrifice to this idol. Now you can be married and you can have children, but trust me, you'll sacrifice your children to your job as a hedge fund manager. It's the nature of how the job works, right? So here it is, right, 2019, we may not throw children in a fire, but do we sacrifice children to idols in our culture? Yes, yes we do. Money is an idol for some. Some people make romantic love an idol. This person and the love that they have for me defines me and is central and core. And, and a way to know that is uh, I've encountered people and they say, I'm committed to Jesus. Jesus leads, I follow. And then it's been a long time and they think, I'm gonna be single the rest of my life. And then they meet somebody and they're sexually active and they do all these things that, that throw the boundaries they had in place out the window. They get rid of all the boundaries because they can't lose this relationship, right? And so one litmus test for romantic love b before you're married is, do the boundaries go out the window? And if that's the case, it, it's possible that it, it could be an idol because you'll do anything the idol wants of you. People will make children their idol. I'm at a stage of life where I encounter people, other my, uh, people who are my age who invested their whole lives and everything about their life was their children. Their homeschooling, the getting them into the right school and all the right experiences and the kids are now out of the nest and they will say some version of this. I don't know who I am anymore. I don't know who I am anymore. And again, it's, it could be that that's been an idol, that it's been the, the central thing about you. And again, the, uh, as an aside, this beauty and appearance, uh, a year or two ago I was at a wedding and the bride said to the groom who had out his smartphone and was getting a picture of her, she says, no, 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 put, no, stop. 
come over to this side. This is my good side. Don't ever take a picture of that side. And I wanted to like stop everything in that moment and go, whoa, come on. We're not going down the aisle and doing anything until we have a conversation. Like, you know, can you not ever have a picture of your bad side ever? Like, is that a thing? Yes, apparently it's a thing. So you, beauty, this sense of beauty in my projected self of beauty can be this, this idol. Now, those are just some personal idols. And hopefully that gets your wheels turning. And you're like, well, Max, let me tell you, at West Jesmond High School, I can name several right now, OK? Um, Within the realm of spirituality and organized religion, there can be religious idols. There are people in our culture who make an idol out of truth. The way they'll say it is, I'm standing for truth. I'm taking a stand for truth. And when they do that, typically what they do is, My, I believe all the right things. All those people over there, they're definitely going to hell. They believe all the wrong things. And, and when you start to talk to them and, and engage them, there's a disdain for their opponents, contempt they have for their opponents, not love for neighbor, but actual contempt. It's an idol. Um, the giftedness that you have. So uh, God forbid if I ever become a really, really talented preacher, right? Like if you become such an effective communicator that people in droves just have to sit at your teaching and your feet, at some point along the way, you can get a little puffed up and think, I am my giftedness. And that defines me and that tells me who I am and that gives me my value. And it's central. I've, I've encountered young preachers who've said some version of this to me. Well, if, if I only preached to 30 people my whole life, it would be a waste. But like, wait a minute, wait a minute. Are you saying obedience to Jesus isn't enough? The calling isn't enough? Yeah, when they say something like that, they're saying it boils down to results, that that's most important. Um, there's another idol within um, uh, religious people, and that's the idol of morality. We have a f few of these here in Jesmond County, um, some forms of Pentecostalism. Pastor, uh, apostle, I've come to the School of Prophecy every night this week, seven nights. I've been here three hours a night every night this week. I've done all the right things. I haven't gone binge drinking with my friends. And they binge drink like all, the past three weekends in a row. I've done all the right things. I've avoided all the bad things that I should avoid. Here I am, God. You have to bless me because I've done it all right. My right living has earned this. Here it is. Bless me, right? And it can become an idol. So I hope through this that you could see that idolatry is still a thing, okay? Gang, it's still a thing. It's still a thing. Idols will always disappoint you. Idols will always let you down. And when idols are called out and identified, I just want to tell you that things will get violent. That's how, that's how it plays out, okay? And so that, that takes us to these two verses in Acts chapter 19. Um, he called them together, this is Demetrius, along with others employed in similar trades and addressed them as follows. Gentlemen, you know that our wealth comes from this business, but as you have seen and heard, this man Paul has persuaded many people that handmade gods aren't really gods at all. And he's done this not only here in Ephesus, but throughout the entire province. Now, the temple of Artemis was one of the seven wonders of the ancient world. It was four times bigger than the Parthenon. It was impressive. And years earlier, there had been this meteorite that had 
smashed into the earth near Ephesus. And so they kind of took the goddess Artemis as this gift from heaven. And Artemis conveyed to people uh, stability, health. Uh, you wanted to make babies. Back then, childbirth was risky and fraught with difficulties. And so Artemis would guarantee you'd have babies and they'd be healthy. And you'd have all the food that you needed. And you would have a healthy, good life. And so this idol is a powerful idol in Ephesus. And there's something about Paul's preaching that has caused a group of people to conclude, you know what? Artemis is a sham. Artemis is powerless. I'm done with her. I don't need her. I'm following Jesus. Now, this wasn't half, this wasn't 50% of the population by any stretch. This was a small sect, the followers of the way. But there was enough of them, and they had, there was enough of them that it said no, and changed the way that they lived, that it was causing what? Consternation. That's the next verse. Verse 27. Of course, I'm not just talking about the loss of public respect for our business. I'm concerned that the temple of the great goddess Artemis will lose its influence. Can, can you even imagine at that point in human history, something four times the size of the Parthenon is going to lose out to some little weird Jewish sect? And yet, Demetrius is concerned. And, he's, and he goes on. This magnificent goddess worshiped throughout the province of Asia and all around the world will be robbed of her great prestige. So there's three things. He's, he's saying he thinks the temple of Artemis is going to be reckoned as nothing. He's concerned that his own trade and the other silversmiths are going to, people are going to stop buying stuff. And then he's concerned that the Artemis herself will just be abandoned. Now we know from the history of Christianity that his concerns are valid. <laughs> His concerns are very valid. Within a couple of hundred years, all of these temples throughout the Italian peninsula and Greek uh, islands close up shop because Christians have exposed them for what they are, which is nothing. And so uh, Paul's preaching was such that he went after idols and that it changed the way people lived. Um, isn't it interesting today, people will make decisions for Jesus, they'll, they'll walk down an aisle, they'll pray a prayer, they'll sign a card, but then they'll continue to live just like the rest of dominant culture. But here in this passage, it's obvious that there's something about responding to Jesus, there's something about following Jesus that is radical enough that it's upsetting the commerce of Ephesus and that business owners are concerned about this little sect, the followers of the way. Can we just acknowledge that in 2019, we worship other things other than Jesus Christ? And because we have idols in our homes and in our hearts, the church has no power. It's one of the reasons the church has no power. So let me ask a couple of questions in light of this. And if you want, we'll have coffee, and I'd love to talk about all the things that are going on in this passage. There's amazing things going on in this passage. But is there anything in your life right now that if you were to lose it, would make you feel like you couldn't even go on? Is there anything in your life right now that if you were to lose it, would make you feel like you couldn't even go on? And then 
Is there any prayer request or need that you have at the moment that if it were unanswered would make you seriously think about turning away from God? So normally I have some very practical things and today is a little different in the sense that there's, there's one way to handle idols and it's, it's you gotta name it, own it, repent, okay? The name it part is to acknowledge I am an idolater. Now, maybe that's not you, but for some of you in that room, that may be the case today. You may be thinking of something and going, oh, okay, well, this thing here might have a pretty strong hold on my heart. And it's entirely possible, yes, Max, that I've been looking to that to tell me who I am and to tell me I'm valuable. And if I were to lose it, I would be like Smeagol Gollum, precious, right? <laughs> okay, so name it, I worship in your heart or in your head, and then own it. I'm an idolater. I've been looking to this thing to tell me who I am, to tell me what I'm worth. I've been sacrificing things to it. And then the repentance part is I renounce. I renounce. It cannot, it cannot have me. It cannot save me. My only hope is Jesus Christ. Let me give you a couple of ways this plays out culturally. Um, so uh, within the LGBT community, for example, um, I've preached on human sex and sexuality a couple of times, so I refer you to those series. I'm not gonna get into the sex and sexuality part of it. But sometimes for some people when they say, I'm gay, um, what they're saying is, this is the most important thing about me. Everything else in my life feeds that and that tells me who I am and that gives me value and worth as a person. And so it can be a form of idolatry. In the same way that uh, when I was a young pastor, when I was 32 years old, I looked to ministry success to tell me who I was and to tell me my identity. And it was a form of idolatry. I was an idolater in that point of my life. And, and I was looking to it to save me instead of Jesus. Are, are you catching this? And, and if you wanna have conversations this week, I'll, I'll make time for coffee. Um, probably the clearer way to see it is the way we divide ourselves with political ideologies, right? So there'll be some people who will say, I'm right and these solutions that I have for government and how we should order society are the right way to think. And all these other people who disagree with me and have different ideas, they're so wrong. And it almost becomes this thing that defines me and it can be a form of idolatry. And again, I know I'm sounding probably a little reformed in some of my preaching today, but if I do anything, I just want you to, I want you to check your heart from time to time. At the end of everything, the, the real issue is um, Jesus Christ is enough. It's not Jesus Christ and my ministry success. It's not Jesus Christ and all the right things I know and believe. It's not Jesus Christ and my republicanness, my democraticness, my straightness, my gayness, my any other thing that I wanna bring into the mix and add to Jesus. Jesus is enough. Jesus is enough. And that's what I want for all of us and I think when, we, when Jesus is enough, it begins to have that transformative power because let me ask you a simple question. 
Would you consider Jesus, the person that we read about in the Gospels, to be someone who loved God and loved people well? Would our world be a better place if people loved God and loved people the way we see Jesus loving God and loving people in the Gospels? Yes, okay?